Good evening. It's good to see everyone here tonight. Good to be back together for the second night of the gospel meeting. It's so very unusual doing meetings this way when we're used to going Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, because it is almost halfway over and it seems like we just got started. But it's good to be here with you tonight. My wife is not with me tonight. She battles migraines and she's been fighting one today. So uh, my dad has come along with me, but uh, please remember my wife in your prayers. You know, since I have been in this wheelchair, there's a lot of strange health issues that I have, and because of pain, I have to take some medications that make me very drowsy. And so because of the drowsiness, I drink a lot of five-hour energy drinks to try to compensate for that. And so recently, my wife and I were driving, and uh, I'm driving, I've got my van set up where I can drive with hand controls, and I felt like I was starting to get a little bit drowsy, and so I had a five-hour energy drink over in my door, and I reached over and I pulled it out, and uh, since I'm driving with both hands, I handed it to her so she could take that little plastic ring off the top for me. Well, she thought she would be extra considerate, and she would take the top off. So she handed it back to me. I didn't know the top had been taken off, and I thought to myself, I thought, well, it's been sitting there a long time. Surely it needs to be shaken. And so uh, since my hands were tied up, I thought, I'll just tap it on me. And I slung five-hour energy drink all over the van. But I tell you what, it worked because it woke me up. So we have a lot of interesting things. Tonight we're going to talk about the subject, what is true repentance? What if you repent but you only do it because you get caught? What if you repent, but you do it for the wrong reason? What if you repent, but it's just because you don't like the consequences? Or how about this? What if you repent, but the next day you do the same thing again? Or, or maybe even the same day. What if you repent of something, and before that day is over, you repeat that sin multiple times? Does God forgive me for that? Or how about this one? What if a person makes a public statement of repentance just to take the heat off of them, but they didn't really repent? You think that ever happens? Sadly, that happens. I receive a lot of questions about repentance. Tonight we want to discuss what is true repentance. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, preached repentance. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17 says, From that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The message of Jesus was repentance. How important was that message? In Luke 13, 3, he said, I tell you nay, but except ye repent, you shall all likewise perish. That is, you're going to go to hell if you don't repent. That is how serious it was. The very first gospel sermon in Acts chapter 2, Peter preached, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Now, of course, that's Acts 2.38, a verse we know so very well. Sin causes a man to be lost. If you want your sins removed, you have to repent. We quote the gospel plan of salvation at the end of every sermon, and we say that a person must hear, believe, repent, confess, 
and be baptized. You see, repentance is important before you become a Christian. But repentance is also important after you become a Christian. Because after we become children of God, we could still lose our souls. You remember in Acts chapter 8, Simon the sorcerer, he obeyed the gospel, he became a Christian, he sinned, and Peter said to him in Acts 8, 22, Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray to God if perhaps the thought of thy soul will be forgiven thee. What did he say? You've got to repent. Repentance is important before you become a Christian. Repentance is important after you become a Christian. But sadly, I believe there are many people who don't understand repentance. I grew up in the Lord's Church, and I was baptized at a very young age. And in the beginning, I was very faithful for several years. But I got into my late teens and my early 20s, and I ceased to be faithful. I, I would still attend. I would go to church, and, you know, uh, I would kind of go through the motions. I wanted to give off the impression to people that I was living right, but I never studied my Bible. I never tried to teach anyone else. You know, I would throw a small amount of money in the plate on the Lord's Day, certainly not as I prospered. You know, I, I partook of the Lord's Supper, but I certainly was not faithful. And if I thought I could get away with it, I wouldn't even attend if, if I thought no one would notice. But what it amounted to is I was putting zero effort into my Christianity. But I would do something that was very strange because I would go to bed at night and I would pray, Lord, please forgive me of the sins that I've committed today. Now, I really had absolutely no intention of stopping those sins. I was going to live the next day just like I had lived today, but somehow it made me feel better. It eased my conscience. When I got into my early 20s, I joined the military. I was in the Air Force. I was stationed at Langley Air Force Base, Virginia. I came under the influence of the military lifestyle, and I really wasn't faithful. As a matter of fact, during that time, I was doing a number of things that were wicked, and I knew good and well they were wicked. But still, I would go to bed at night, and I would pray, Lord, please forgive me of my sins. It made me feel better. During that time, a friend of mine who was a faithful member of the church gave me a copy of a book that had been released around about that time. It was a big, thick, red book called Behold the Pattern. Maybe some of you remember that book. For whatever reason, though I wasn't faithful, I started reading that book. So I'd go to bed at night and I would read it. The last chapter in that book was on repentance. And so when I went through, when I read the chapter on repentance, I understood or I came to understand that I really had not been properly practicing and that I really had not even understood repentance. I want you to hold that thought because I'm going to come back to it at the end of the sermon. Brethren, I don't believe that I am the only person who's had a problem understanding repentance. Several years ago, I was in Pensacola, Florida. I was visiting with some members of the church, and there was a brother there. I think he was a deacon in the church. And in our conversation, he told me about, about a particular sin that he had been engaged in on a daily basis. And he told me that recently he had been caught engaging in that sin. And so because of that, he said that he made a public confession. Now, he explained to me that he didn't stop the sin, but he made a public confession of the sin. And I thought about that, and I thought, this brother really doesn't understand repentance. 
I frequently hear people define repentance this way. They say repentance means to stop sinning. But you know, a person could stop sinning without repenting. You know, a person could stop smoking because his doctor says it's going to kill you, and so he says, okay, I stop, but he doesn't really repent. Sometimes people define repentance this way. They will say repentance is a 180-degree turn in your behavior. But again, that's not right. You know, a man who cheats on his taxes might make a 180-degree turn and stop cheating. Maybe he thinks the IRS is about to catch him, and so he stops. But he doesn't really repent. So I want to begin tonight and define repentance. And I want you to watch this carefully because this definition is going to trace the rest of our sermon tonight. Repentance is a change of mind produced by godly sorrow that results in a reformation of life. A change of mind produced by godly sorrow that results in a reformation of life. Now what we're going to do for the rest of the lesson is this. We're going to look at five words each one beginning with the letter R, and we're going to trace the five R's of repentance tonight to help us understand it in the most basic form. Now here is the first one. The first R is the word, you see at the top here, is receive. The first thing a person has to do is he has to receive the information that he's a sinner. He needs to receive the information that he needs to repent. Again, when you read the gospel accounts, how did Jesus begin his preaching? Matthew 4, 17, from that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. How did John begin his preaching? Matthew 3, 1, In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The process of salvation begins with the information that you need to repent. It's interesting because I did a Google search a while back on the word repentance. And you know on Google you'll get a page that will show up and you click second page. Well, the first page of listings, there were some sites by denominational preachers. And they had some interesting quotes about repentance. I want you to listen to this one. One denominational preacher said, what, Whatever happened to repentance? You rarely hear the word mentioned in most churches these days. Even Baptists, Pentecostals, or evangelical circles. Pastors nowadays seldom call for their congregations to sorrow over sin, to mourn and grieve over wounding Christ by their wickedness. Instead, the message we hear from pulpits today is, just believe, accept Christ, and you'll be saved. And he goes on to, to say this. He says, in many places today they are teaching salvation without sorrow. He said they skip right on to how to be saved without first convicting the individual that he is a sinner, without first teaching godly sorrow. Now, of course, he's mistaken about there being salvation in these churches, and he's mistaken about how to be saved, but he makes a good point about repentance. Brethren, there is no such thing as salvation without sorrow. Now, where does that sorrow come from? It comes from someone teaching me that I am a sinner, that I have done things worthy of hell. It's, it's what sometimes we call negative preaching. You know, in Acts chapter 2, Peter preached that message on the day of Pentecost, and the Bible says it pricked their hearts. 
That is, it cut their hearts. That is, he said to them, you crucified the Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, gospel preaching has got to step on toes. Wrong has to be pointed out. People have to be made to feel ashamed for what they have done. How are you going to get a person to repent of stealing? You first have to tell them that's wrong. That is sinful. How are you going to get people to repent of having sex before marriage? You've got to tell them that it's evil, that it is sinful, and that they will lose their soul for it. And so what we're saying is this. You have got to preach on uh, the consequences of sin, about how evil it is, about how horrible hell is, and then you preach that God loves them and what Jesus has done for them so that they can be spared from their evil deeds. But this whole process starts with receiving the information. Now here is the second one. The second R is the word remorse. Now this is the reaction to the message. Once I receive the message that I have been living in open rebellion to God, that I have sinned against the Lord who died for me, it creates in me sorrow. Peter said, you have crucified the Christ, and the Bible says the Jews were cut to the heart. They received this information that created remorse in the hearer. It created sorrow in the hearer. This is 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 10. The Bible says, For godly sorrow works repentance unto salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world works death. Now, there are three things I want you to notice from 2 Corinthians seven ten. The first one is this. Sorrow is not repentance. The Bible says godly sorrow brings repentance. Sometimes I hear people and they think that sorrow is repentance. Sorrow is not repentance. Sorrow brings repentance. Secondly, I learned from 2 Corinthians 7.10 that there is such a thing as godly sorrow. You know, after Peter denied the Lord three times in Matthew 26.75, the Bible says that Peter went out and he wept bitterly. He had godly sorrow. He said, I am sorry that I have done this evil. I'm sorry that I sinned against my Lord. I'm sorry that I've sinned against heaven. I'm sorry that I placed my soul in jeopardy. Peter was sorry and that sorrow caused him to fix the situation. Now, the third observation from 2 Corinthians 7.10 is there is also such a thing as worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow brings condemnation. I mentioned to you that there's a brother in Pensacola, Florida. He came forward because of this sin and he made a public confession because he'd been caught, but he didn't stop the sin. Brethren, that's worldly sorrow. He was sorry that he had been caught. He was sorry that his sin became public. Not that he'd done it. In fact, he'd do it again. He just said he would conceal it better next time. Judas is an example of worldly sorrow. Judas had sorrow and he was deeply grieved by what he had done, but it didn't move him to repentance. Remember, godly sorrow brings repentance. The sorrow of the world brings death. Worldly sorrow says, you know, I'm sorry that I've been cheating, but I'm sorry because my wife's left me and now I'm alone. Not because of my sin. Worldly sorrow says, I'm sorry that I'm in jail for my crime. Not that I did it, but because I have the consequences. I'm sorry that I got a speeding ticket. Not because I broke the law, but because I have to pay a fine. 
two types of sorrow, godly sorrow, worldly sorrow. All right, here is the third one, and this is a reverse or a reversal. Now, I want you to notice this. Number one, you see that receive is in blue, and that is because receiving is not repentance, but it moves you toward repentance. You notice that remorse is in blue because remorse is not repentance, but it moves you toward repentance. Godly remorse, godly sorrow brings repentance. But you notice that the reversal is in red, and that's because the reversal, this is actually repentance. What it means is this, you receive the information, it causes remorse, that is a, a change in your thinking. So what happens? You hear this information and it works on your heart and it causes godly sorrow and that godly sorrow causes you to change your mind. Now remember our definition? It is a repentance is a change of mind caused by godly sorrow that results in a reformation of life. What is repentance? Repentance is actually the change in mind. It's a reversal in your thinking. And that is to say, I am so saddened. I am so troubled. I am so grieved by what I have done. I have changed my mind, and it's going to be different from now on. I'm not going to live that way from now on. Brethren, that's the definition of repentance. It is a change of mind. Sometimes I hear people define repentance this way. They say it's a 180-degree uh, change in the way you're living. That's not right. Remember, the definition of repentance is not a change of life. It's a change of mind. The change of life is going to come later. Repentance is a change of mind. Oftentimes when I describe repentance, I do this, and I point to the head. Repentance is a change of mind. Repentance takes place up here. Now somebody says, I don't know about that. Listen to what the Bible says. Matthew 21 and 28 Jesus said, a certain man had two sons, and he came to the first, and he said, Son, go and work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he repented in his head, and he went. You see what happened? He repented up here, and he went. The part that says, and he went, that was a result of the repentance. Repentance took place in the mind, and that was followed by a change of life. Repentance is a reverse in my thinking. It's a change of mind. Brother Marshall Keeble defined repentance this way, if I can remember it correctly. He said on one occasion he was visiting someone who was a delinquent member of the church, and he said as he got to their house, he saw a dog on the front porch. And he said he got a little nervous, the dog was growling, and so he said he leaned over and he picked up a big stick, and about that time, he said that dog came running at him, and he said he took that big stick and he whacked it right over the nose, and he said that dog uh, tucked tail and ran off, and he said, brethren, that's repentance. He said he had a change of mind, and it was followed by a change of life. <laughs> well, that's, that's a pretty good illustration. Something changes my mind, and that change of mind results in a change of life. Now, let's look at the next one. Here's the definition again. Change of mind produced by godly sorrow resulting in a reformation of life. Now here is the next one. This is the reformation of life. Now you notice it's in blue because it's not repentance, but it follows repentance. Receiving leads to repentance. 
remorse or godly sorrow leads to repentance. The reversal, the change of mind, that is repentance, and it results in a reformation of life. This is the result of repentance. And so what happens is I receive the, the information. It causes me to have remorse. That remorse makes me change my thinking. At that point, I have repented. But listen, the Bible says that this repentance in my mind should result in a change of my life. The Bible calls this fruits of repentance, the product of repentance. Listen to this. It's like the man in Matthew chapter 21 where the Bible says afterward he repented and he went. The fact that he went, that was the fruit of repentance. He reformed his life and he did what his father said to do in the first place. In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 8, John the Baptist taught the Jews. He said, bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance. In other words, if you have truly repented in your mind, let's see it in your life. Fruits of repentance. The word fruit in the Greek is from the root karpos. It means the product of something. And so if you look on fr at fruit on a tree, the product of an apple tree is an apple. The product or fruit of repentance is or a, a reformation of life. So let me give you an example of this. Ephesians 4.28 says, Let him that stole steal no more. And so if you repent of stealing, the result is going to be your life is different. You don't steal anymore. I read a story about a man who walked into a church building and he wanted to become a Christian. And so he went in to meet with the preacher and he said, Preacher, I want to become a Christian, but I've got a problem. And the problem is I've been stealing from my employer. And the preacher said, well, how much have you stolen? And the man said, I don't really know. I haven't been keeping track of it. And the preacher said, do you think it was maybe $1,500? And the man said, that's probably pretty close. And so the preacher said, I tell you what you do. Next year, steal only 1000 And the year after that, steal only 500 And that way you can wean yourself off of it. And he said, if your employer catches you in the meantime, tell him you're in the process of being converted. Now, he said that to make a point. And the point is, that's not how it works. The Bible said, let him that stole steal no more. If you change your mind, you change your life. You change your mind, you're going to have a reformation. You're going to be different. You're going to live differently. Sometimes I think you can tell something about a person's repentance by his reformation of life. Let me give you an example of this. A man repents of drinking alcohol, but he keeps a pint in his glove box just in case he changes his mind. He really hasn't repented because he's thinking, oh, I might want to go back and get that again. A man repents of gambling, but he keeps that lottery ticket in his wallet because, you know, on Powerball tonight, I might just win. He hasn't really repented. A man repents of smoking, but he keeps a carton of cigarettes in his desk drawer. He hasn't really repented. A man repents of pornography, but he saves that web address or that, that app or whatever it is. He hasn't really repented. You know, I've oftentimes wondered when you see a person come forward on Sunday morning and they repent of living unfaithfully and then they don't come back on Sunday night. Don't you think you can see something about a person's repentance in their mind by their reformation of life? 
Repentance is a change of mind that results in a reformation of life. In 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11, the Bible lists there some heinous sins, some of the most heinous sins you can imagine. Included in that list are homosexuals and thieves and drunkards. But the key verse is 1 Corinthians 6, 11. After listing all these sinners that Paul said would not inherit the kingdom of God, then he says this, And such were some of you. What's the difference? The difference is they had changed their mind and they'd had a reformation of life. The difference is they didn't live that way anymore. Those who used to practice homosexuality, they didn't practice homosexuality anymore. They'd had a change of mind, and it resulted in a change of life. Those who used to be drunks, they didn't drink anymore. Those who, who used to steal, they didn't steal anymore. You know, in Acts chapter 19, Paul goes into Ephesus, and he preaches to people who engaged in, um, the Bible says, curious arts, black magic. And they had these books and potions and things they would engage in, and very uh, superstitious individuals. But after they became Christians, the Bible says in Acts 19, 18, And many of them that believed came and confessed, and they showed their deeds. Many also which used curious arts brought their books together, and they burned them before all men. And the Bible indicates those magic books were worth a lot of money but they burned them. Why? Because they said, we're through. We've had a change of mind. We're going to have a change of life. Have you ever wondered why they didn't just sell them? These books were worth a lot of money. I remember when I was restored to the church and I was in the military, I had uh, music and videos and things that I determined a Christian really shouldn't be listening to this or watching this. And I thought, I should sell all of this. This is worth a lot of money. And the more I pondered it, I thought, if I shouldn't be listening to or watching this, neither should anyone else. How can I say it's wrong and so I'm going to turn around and sell it to someone else? That didn't make sense to me, so I just destroyed them. Isn't that what happened to these people? They said it's worth a lot of money, but they burned them in the sight of all men. And so the reformation of life means this. It is a discontinuing of one's former practices. It means if you used to use foul language and you repent, you have a change of mind, you don't talk that way anymore. You have a change of life. If you used to cheat on your taxes, you don't do that anymore. If you used to go out after work and have a few beers with your friends, you don't do that anymore. Now here is the fifth one, and this is restitution. Now again, receiving is blue. It leads you to repentance. Remorse is godly sorrow. It leads to repentance. The reversal is the change that is repentance that causes you to have a reformation of life. And then finally, restitution. Restitution is not repentance, but it is the result of repentance. Now, what is restitution? Repentance has taken place. It results in a reformation of my life. Finally, we have restitution. What is restitution and what in the world does it have to do with repentance? Restitution means restoring that which belongs to another, giving back, replacing, or repaying. Simply stated, it means this. It means you're going to pay back that which you have taken wrongly. It means if you have cheated somebody out of money, you're going to pay it back to them. 
It means if you have taken that which did not belong to you, you're going to give it back. Really, it means this. You are trying to right the wrong that you have done. You're trying to undo the bad that you have done. Now, what does that have to do with repentance? Brethren, it is the natural response to it. That is to say, if you truly have godly sorrow for your actions and you truly have had a reformation of your life, restitution just naturally is going to follow. That is, I am so torn up about what I have done, I want to fix it. So if I stole money, and I've got a change of mind, and I've got godly sorrow, I am thinking to myself, oh, I'm sorry that I did that. I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm going to give that money back. It's the natural response to it. Years ago, when I first started preaching, I was at a little country church in Alabama, and it was one Friday night, I was working late, and I didn't finish my sermon, and so I told my wife, um, I'm going to go back over on, I tried not to work Saturday, but I said, I'm going to go back on Saturday and finish. So I got to the building on Saturday morning, and when I pulled up, the doorknob was laying on the ground, and I thought, what in the world? So I walked in the building, and I walked down the stairs into the basement where my office was, and when I got down there, my office door was laying on the floor. And I thought, I was so puzzled. I was thinking, what is going on? I just wasn't putting it together. So I walked in my office, and my stereo was gone, and uh, my computer, which wasn't much of a computer back in those days, but uh, it, it was gone the audio equipment in the auditorium, it was gone. Someone had robbed us. A couple of weeks passed, and the sheriff ended up pulling over somebody in the county there, and they found out when they searched their vehicle that some of my equipment was still in the trunk of their car. They arrested this person. After that person was in the jail, I was at the church building one day, and I got a call from the chaplain. And the chaplain said, this man who has been arrested says he's sorry. And he would like to come to your church and apologize. He said, as a matter of fact, he's robbed like 19 churches in this county. And he is going around one by one and apologizing to each one. And so I asked the elders, I said, is it okay for him to come and speak? And they said, there's no telling what he might get up and say. Uh, they said, we, we don't think we, we want to allow that to happen. But you know what question was on my mind? If he has truly repented, where's my computer? Right? Where, at least, where is there some sort of agreement to pay me back? He's going to make installments. If a person has truly repented and he's had a change of mind, that person should be saying, I want to make this thing right with you. Why would I think that? Because that is the natural response to that. Incidentally, uh, some time passed, and I ran into the sheriff in a local hamburger joint, and he told me every denomination at which that man went and spoke after he said that they, he was sorry, they dropped the charges, and we did not. It was only our congregation that uh, kept the charges there and resulted in that man being prosecuted uh, because of those thefts. About 20 years passed, and I went out to the mailbox one day, and I had a check for several thousand dollars from the man that had robbed us, that he paid me back after all those years. 
and I was stunned. But you know what? When I saw that, I thought to myself, that man has truly had a change. I don't know if he became a New Testament Christian, but it occurred to me there was a true change. Why is that? Because when I saw that, that's the natural response. That's the real response. If a person says, I stole that money, but I'm just going to keep it, he really hasn't had a change of mind. That person really hasn't had uh, true repentance. Now, you might say, all right, well, that kind of makes sense logically, but where do you find this in the Bible? Under the law of, in the law of Moses, in Leviticus chapter 6, 1 through 5, the old law required restitution if you'd stolen something. As a matter of fact, listen to what the law of Moses said. He shall restore its full value and add one-fifth more to it and give it back to whomsoever it belongs. That is, the law of Moses said not only do you have to pay it back, you have to pay it back with interest. You've got to give back one-fifth more. You might remember in the New Testament, there was a man named Zacchaeus. When you think of Zacchaeus, what comes to your mind? Unfortunately, the thing that he's remembered for is the fact that he was short. How unfortunate, because he is such a good example of restitution. In Luke 19, this is what Zacchaeus said to Jesus. Lord, if I have taken anything wrongly from any man by false accusation, I restore to him fourfold. That is, Zacchaeus said, I'm going to pay him back four times the amount that I took. Why four times the amount? Did the law require that he pay back four times the amount? No, the law, law didn't require four times the amount. The law required that he was going to pay back one-fifth more. Why did he say that? Brethren, it was the natural response the broken heart, the godly sorrow who says, I want to fix this. I have oftentimes heard Christians that will say things like this. Well, that was before I was a Christian. They think that because they dealt dishonestly with someone before they became a Christian, that they can just keep that money or, or whatever it was. But uh, that's not right. Don't you see that true repentance motivates a person to want to take care of this? Now, I understand that restitution can't be made for all sins. If you murder somebody, you can't bring them back. You can't fix that. You can't restore that. But even then, maybe you can do something. I mean, maybe you could provide money for the family that's lost their breadwinner. But I know that if you've stolen money, you can pay it back. If you've stolen someone's good reputation by lying or gossiping, you can seek to undo that. You certainly can do those things. Now, at the beginning of the lesson, I started telling you my story, and I told you I was going to come back to it at the end. I told you that I was living an ungodly life. I would go to bed at night, and I would pray, Lord, please forgive me of my sins. I intended the next day to live exactly as I had that day. But it made me feel better to say, Lord, please forgive me. Someone gave me a copy of the book, Behold the Pattern. I got to the last chapter on repentance. And when I read it, I realized that what I was doing was not really repentance. Now, why is that? Because you can't ask God to forgive you for something that you don't intend to stop. You can't say, Lord, please forgive me, but I'm going to keep doing it. That's not repentance. 
Repentance is godly sorrow that results in a change of mind, and you're going to say, I'm going to stop this. Now, might you stumble and do it again? Likely you will, but you can't say, Lord, please forgive me, when you have no intention of stopping it. When I realized this, I realized something else, and that is, I realized that I was going to go to hell. I was a Christian who was going to go to hell. And it made me sick to my stomach. And I would go to bed at night, and I would lay there, and I would toss and turn, and the acid was churning in my stomach. And I got to thinking to myself, all right, if I truly repent and I truly change my life, and I'm going to live differently tomorrow, then my coworkers, uh, my fellow soldiers, they're going to think, what is going on with him? Has he lost his mind? What's, and, and I thought, I, I just can't do that. I, I just can't deal with the consequences. I knew there'd be restitution. I didn't want to have to deal with that. And so I didn't do it. And I would go to bed each night, and I would lay there, and I couldn't sleep, and it literally was making me so sick. I finally thought to myself, I got to make a change. Whatever it costs, whatever I have to do, I got to fix this. And I truly repented. And my coworkers said, what is going on with you, man? Have you lost your mind? All the things that I thought were going to happen, they happened. But I tell you what, I have never looked back because I had peace in my heart that I was living right with God. I truly repented and I said, I'm not going to live this way anymore. Have I stumbled? Of course I have. But I started trying to live by walking in the light and to be faithful to the Lord. Brethren, the Bible calls that repentance. It is a change of mind that results in a reformation of life. I don't believe that I'm the only one who has misunderstood repentance. And I don't believe I'm the only member of the church who has improperly practiced repentance. 